This is the New Life Rancho Vista podcast. We are a church committed to loving God, growing together, and serving others. Our prayer and desire is that this message from our campus pastor, Peter Moore, will be a help and an encouragement to you, regardless of where you are in your relationship with Jesus. So let's open our hearts and minds as we turn our attention to the incredible truths God has for us today. We're in a series entitled Against All Odds. And the main thought of this series has been that sometimes God stacks the odds against us so that he can get the most glory from our story. And I just believe that God is doing some great things uh, in our midst, and this was not in the plan. Many times we plan these series out months in advance. Uh, I was coming to the end of this, this series and realized that we had not talked about the end of the story. And the end of the story for Elisha is just as bombastic, just as crazy, just as power-filled as the beginning. If you remember the beginning, there's a fire tornado, right? Fire-nado. <laughs> and chariot of fire raptures up Elijah. And Elisha is there holding a mantle. And now he has this brand new power that's been placed on him. And what an incredible thing God does in the life of Elisha. But at the end of the story, it just doesn't seem like the, the, the same ending as Elijah. So I want you to go to 2 Kings chapter 13. In verse number 14, it says, Now Elisha was fallen sick of a sickness whereof he died. Verse 20 says, And Elisha died, and they buried him. Do you notice that that's a little different from Elijah's ending? Elijah had a really bombastic, exciting ending. And Elisha had a very sad, obscure, painful ending. So I want to pray, and we're going to dive in why uh, and see why that was. Let's pray. God, we come before you, and we realize that all things are working together for good. To them that love you, that are called according to their purpose. And God, there's a lot of things I can't do. There's a lot of things that I can't be. And there's a lot of things that you haven't called me to be. There is one thing that you've called all of us to be, and that is faithful. I pray that someone would be encouraged to just keep going as a result of this story this week and next. I pray that you'd bless both of these messages, and as we tell the ending of the story for Elisha, I pray that it would be the beginning of a story for some. I pray that you would do new things in the lives, uh, the lives of those that are here in this room and those that are watching online and listening on the radio. Would you please work and move in our midst, as you did in the first service, do it again, we pray, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever met someone who was just the, the, the most negative, had the most negative outlook on life? You know, you're changing a tire and they walk by and they're like, oh, flat tire, huh? Yeah, it's a flat tire, it's obvious, but it's a flat tire. You know, 
you're not going anywhere fast today. Well, thank you, Captain Obvious. You know, thank you. Thank you for being such a ray of sunshine, you know, just speak life into me. You know, it's just some people have the gift of just saying things in a negative way. I remember when my boys were real young and they'd be throwing an attitude. Well, in fact, they still throw attitudes, but, uh, but you know, they'd be, they'd be young and, and they'd be, you know, having an attitude. And obviously it was an attitude. Obviously it wasn't going very well. And obviously I was addressing it. And someone would say, are they having a bad day? And I wanted to look at them like, uh, no, this is us on a good day. <laughs> like, what are you trying to say? Like, come on. Why, 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 did, why do some people have to point out the most obvious, most depressing things? Well, let me be that person for a minute and just say that the reason why this, this whole story is sandwiched by Elisha dying is to prove a point that we are all going to die. <laughs> Welcome to new life. You are going to die, okay? We are all going to die. It is, it is said in, uh, in, in Hebrews 9, it is appointed unto, unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So we all are going to die. That is something we all have in common. And our death is inevitable, but our destination after death is not. And so that's why the rest of this verse said, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And that could be you watching. That could be you and this person. He wants to bear your sins. You say, what are those sins? Everything you've done that, are, that is against God's plan, God's design, God's word. Okay, every day we break God's word. We think thoughts we shouldn't think. We do things, we say things, right? So we are saved out of our sin by the salvation that we receive from Christ. We look for him who shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. There's only one person who ever lived a perfect life. His name is Jesus. And his perfection can be applied to your account when you receive his gift of eternal life. And so we have this wonderful truth that's wrapped in a very negative circumstance of Elisha passing from this life to the next. A lot of people who say, well, how do you know there's an afterlife? So, well, how do you know you have a brain? You know, you've never seen heaven. No, you haven't either, but you didn't see the creation of the world, but yet here it is. There are some things that are accepted by faith, but I will tell you that God gives us the evidence for our faith. One of the evidences we have for our faith, the fact that there is a, a life to come, is because we are all always longing for something more. There's always something, there's always something just out of our grasp, and there's always a longing for something we do not have. And St. Augustine put it this way, we will always be restless until we find our rest in Him. Ultimately, our souls long for heaven. It is why we grieve the loss of a loved one. It is why uh, thing, when things go wrong, we wonder why. Why would God allow this to happen? Why would this happen? Why would that happen? The reason we wonder why is because there is something greater. There is something beyond. If there is something beyond, if we all spend forever somewhere, then forever is way too long to be wrong. And so that is why every single day of my life, I am trying to tell people, that there is no salvation without Jesus Christ. In fact, Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12 says this, Neither is there salvation in any other, for no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus that we claim for salvation. And so we see in this passage of Scripture 
that we have a weak man of God. He is dying of an illness. We do not know what illness it was, but he was in his 80s, so he was up in years. It could have been anything. It could have just been old age. He was ill, though. He was dying, and in his weakness, God makes him strong. And God makes their nation strong because of his strength as well. Now, here's a key thought as we begin. In the greatest moments of weakness, God gives his strength. Paul put it this way. In my weakness, I was made strong. It is not until God brings you to the end of your resources that you can understand or even feel or sense his. So many times God will bring us to the end. And over and over again, God has brought me to the end of my resources. But here you have a wicked king, was not a righteous king, a wicked king. All 20 kings in Israel were wicked. And when the, when the kingdom split and, and, and David uh, was, was passed off the scene and Solomon's son, Jeroboam, was, was splitting the kingdoms into two, you had this, these wicked kings, and Joash was one of them. This was not the righteous king of Judah, Joash, okay, that reigned during the exact same time as Joash, all right? I said in the first service that Joash in the Old Testament is like Mary in the New Testament. There's a ton of them, right? And it's hard to keep them, keep them straight. But Joash, this king, he was a younger king, but he wasn't an eight-year-old king like Joash in Judah. But here he is, he's weeping, verse 14, over the body of a frail Elisha. And he's saying, he's so sad about his passing. May I live in a way that even those who don't believe like me, who don't even necessarily like me, will miss my impact when I am gone. And may you live in a way where your friends and neighbors and those around you say, there is less light because that person is no longer with us. As Pastor Chapel always says, and I've heard him over and over again, and and, uh, and, and, and as, as you know, him being my mentor and, and someone who really have, has, has built into me, you know, I always say, Peter, you always want those nearest to you to grieve your dying far more than they ever would your living. You need to live in a way that is a testimony to those around us. That's a sobering truth. But here you have this king coming to Elisha. Now, now, let me set the stage because the context of this is really important. We're going we're to come back to this next week and then we'll be out of the series. But I'll tell you this, that for a king, even secular historians have talked about this story that's written about even outside of scripture. I mean, this is a remarkable historical event. You have a king of a nation coming to the private residence of a prophet. In, in the east or, or, or back then, you did not have a king coming to bow before a prophet. You had a prophet coming to serve a king. And yet, there was such an impact that was had in the life of Elisha that even his leader of his country was, was grieving because he was about to pass off the scene. And, and here you have this moment of weakness that God infuses his strength. And I don't know what moment of weakness I'm going to speak into today, but I want to I call out some, some, some moments of weakness. And I want to call out some moments or some people who, who, who maybe are ready to give in the towel in an area. And I want to just say, would you just keep going? Because even when you feel like you can't, even when you're in the bed of weakness, God can bring his strength. So here's an action item. I would encourage you in your life, throughout your life, there'll be seasons like this, but take note of the moments that you are most broken or most weak because it is in that moment that God will miraculously give you the strength and the wisdom that you need. 
child of God, you have a heavenly father who cares for you even in the darkest moments of your life. Child of God, you have a father who is loving you enough to say, hey, don't give up. And this was not on the sermon schedule. This was not on the plan, but I just believed that God wanted uh, me to hear this, this passage of scripture. And I believe God wanted us as a church to hear this passage of scripture to say, listen, I don't know what you're about to give up on. I don't know what you're about to throw in the towel on, but I will tell you that if you will just keep going, God will do something miraculous in your life. And so what does God give when we want to give up? What, what, what does God provide for us when we have no resources? What does God infuse when we are left empty? Well, there are four assets that God gives to those who are about to give up and to keep going to just keep going. And I want to give you the two to two this week. I'll give you the, the next two next week. I, I couldn't, I literally could not possibly fit it in. It would have been wrong to try to fit it in uh, just because of how, how incredibly, um, it, 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 how, how incredibly not just deep, but practical the scripture is. I want you to notice, number one, God always uses his word. Whenever you're about to, to throw in the towel, whenever you want to give up, whenever there's a moment of weakness, whenever there's this moment where you're just like, God, I just can't. I'm sorry, God, but I can't. And next week, I'm going to talk about what, what happens when you don't want to pray. Because I've been there many times. What happens when you don't want to read God's word? What happens when you don't want to come to church? What happens when you don't want to do what God wants you to do? What do you do then? And God says, well, I want you to always come back to my word. And so where do we get this from this text? In verse number 14, I want Pastor Joe to read this because I want you to see how this is, this is the template in narrative form. This is the template for coming back to God's word. 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 14. Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. Now, some of you may recognize that statement, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel, and the horsemen thereof, because that was the exact statement I put in your notes that Elisha said to Elijah. He said, when, when the chariot of Israel, or when the, when the chariots were, were lifting him off the ground, I mean, how epic is that? You're in a chariot of fire, and you're not getting burned. He says, my father, my father, uh, it, 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 you know, it was just an odd thing for a king to say to a prophet. I mean, Elisha wasn't his father. Elisha didn't have chariots. Elisha didn't even have horsemen, trained military horsemen. So why is he saying exactly what Elisha said? He was saying it because he felt the same way Elisha did about Elijah. He was saying, uh, in essence, he was using this statement that, was, that many historians and, and, and scholars believe that was used as a statement. Even today, rabbis use this. When they say that God's word is working through someone in such a powerful way, they will say, the chariots and the horsemen of our nation are not as powerful as you. They, he was literally calling Elisha as Elisha called Elisha, Elijah. He was calling him a one-man army. He was saying, you're a one-man army. Now, 
you've probably heard the, heard the, the question, uh, you know, you in what army, right? When, when someone challenges you, I'll never forget being uh, just coming out of, out of high school and Man, I'll tell you, you guys, uh, some of you, some of you uh, knew me uh, when I was in college, and I am sorry for anything I did and said, but coming right out of high school and into college, I just, I, 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 I had this spirit, and it was really a spirit of pride, and, and, and God has a way of humbling you, and I want to just tell you one of the ways that he humbled me, and, and he's still humbling me, but, but, but I was uh, walked into my dorm room, and I put all my stuff on my, on my bed, and I picked out the, the, the lower bunk and the corner bunk right by the window, and I was really excited to be the first one there so I could pick the bunk, and this dude walked in, and he's like, that's not your bed, and I was like, are you in my room? He's like, no. I was like, well, then why do you care? <laughs> that's my bed. I picked my, I picked it. I put my stuff on it. I was here first. That's my bed. He's like, no, you're, you're on an upper bunk. He's like, that's your room leader's bed. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, and who's going to make me? And he said, I would. And I said, you and what army? And then I realized, I looked right over his shoulder and there was a huge Marine flag. And I realized this was my dorm suit and he was a Marine. And I will tell you, I cannot even describe to you what happened the next few moments, but I will tell you, I've never used that phrase, you and what army, after that moment. <laughs> because he quickly taught me that not only was I going to move it, but I was going to do all of the other chores in the dorm until I, uh, you know, knocked the chip off my shoulder. So that was the cocky me, and God was teaching me, no, you can say you and what army, but none of us would stand against one trained soldier, much less an army of trained soldiers. You see, we always overestimate our strength. And I will tell you something about this statement. When, when even a wicked king recognizes the power of the word of God flowing through a prophet, Elisha was the, the, the source of the word of God for Israel. And so here you have this king recognizing that he's the source of the power, that, that what Elisha says is more powerful than what all of the armies do. That's what he's saying. And so the word of God has powerful. It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I just want to tell someone here that thinks that you are powerless over uh, an addiction and that thinks that you're powerless over your anxiety or your depression or thinks that you're powerless over this person or this situation. I want you to know in a key thought here that you are unstoppable when you are trusting and living according to the word of God. That's not prosperity preaching. That's not just me trying to get you pumped up. That's me trying to get you to believe what the word of God says, that the word of God does have power, that the word of God is, is that strength that he gives you in time of trouble. And we always quote the verse, and I hear people all the time in Deuteronomy 28, you're the head, not the tail. You're above and not beneath. Absolutely, absolutely, I believe that, but you got to continue because that's a, condition, a conditional promise. It says, if you hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God and do and observe to do. Listen, you, you, you're not ahead. You're not getting ahead if you're not following this book. There is power in the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians 6 said, not in the sword of our anger or not in the sword of our control or not in the, and not in the sword of our cutting tongue. No, no, no. There's power in the Word of God. And so here's a practical action item. I, I would encourage you to ask God to give you a promise to connect the, your waiting or, or your burden or whatever you're going through, your, even your prosperity and your pain, 
to a promise that God has. You want to give purpose to your pain. You want to give purpose to your prosperity. Why has God blessed me? Why is God leading me? Why is God? That's why I gave you not just a list of why we're moving, but the verses for why we believe God is is moving us because it's the word of God. It's the promises of God that give us perspective, that give us purpose for everything we're doing. And so it is the word of God that God uses to keep us going. Number two, I want you to see this, that God uses wise counsel. God uses wise counsel. Now, we're going to see a prophet come alongside the king and give him instruction, direction, and clarification. Now, all counsel. We have some counselors in here. Uh, I'm a registered counselor, certified counselor, and there's lots of people who can speak life into you. But every counselor is to give instruction from the word of God, direction because of what God has said, and clarification to know what to do next. Every counsel, that, that's the pathway, okay? And I want you to see how it takes place. Verses 15 through 17, let's read. 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 15 through 17. And Elisha said unto him, take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it, and Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the air of the Lord's deliverance and the air of deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou have consumed them. Now, here you have this king, uh, verse 15. He's, he's giving, uh, or Elisha giving this king wise counsel through biblical instruction. Look at the biblical instruction. That's letter A, biblical instruction in, in, in verse number 16. He, he says, I want you to, to or verse 15, I want you to get your bow and get your arrows. And, and, and he didn't know why. He, he didn't ask, well, what does that have to do with anything? He just obeyed. The word of God, this wasn't something, this wasn't a preference of Elisha. This was something that God was speaking to Elisha to go get the bow and arrow. And so Elisha said the biblical instruction. This was direct revelation from God. He goes and he gets the bow and he gets the arrow. Now, regardless of if he wanted to do that or not, I think it's important to note the fact that there are two ways of approaching what God says. We can live based on the influence, impulse of what we say and what we feel, or we can live based on what God says and how God feels. So those are the two different ways. Now you say, well, sometimes it's easier to live in a way of how I feel. And feelings, it's always easier to follow your feelings at first until the end. That is why Proverbs 19 verse 20 says, hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in the latter end. Why? Because there are many devices in a man's heart. That's your mind, the deepest part of your mind. There's many different ways, many different thoughts, many different things pulling you. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord shall stand. There is something that will stand the test of times, the test of your emotions, the test of counsel uh, from, from the evil one. And, and that is the word of God. The word of God, the counsel of God will stand. So that's biblical instruction. Here's a key thought. God will always place people around you to point you to the principles that always work. Now, I know this sounds like a pragmatic philosophy, but I will tell you this. Everything God says, everything from start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, from, from, from start to finish in the Bible, everything he says is true. And everything he tells you to do works. 
You say, it doesn't seem like it's working. That's not the point. It works. It always works. It's universal. Those principles can always be relied on. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 119, 105, that word is a lamp unto my feet, a light of my path. It gives you light. It gives you clarity. And the just man, the one man that's following God's plan, God's path, that just man is a shining light, Proverbs 4 says, that shineth more and more into the perfect day. But the way of the wicked is, is darkness. So the wicked are in darkness. They, they don't even know, the, the verse says, what they're stumbling at. They're confused. They're, they're falling all over themselves, Proverbs 4 says. So, so, so they don't even know why they're stumbling. They don't know why everything's falling apart. They don't understand why. But God gives the just light and clarity to say, no, this is the way to go. So that leads us to letter B, and that is... Counsel is personal directions. It's not just biblical instruction. It's not just truths to know. It's not just knowledge. It is someone coming alongside you and taking that knowledge and saying, here is what that knowledge points you to do. Okay, that's wise counsel. By the way, everyone in this room could be a counselor. Everyone in this room should be a counselor. Everyone should speak life into each other. That's what small groups are for. That's what fellowship is for. That's what relationships in the body is for, to speak life one to another. So what happens in verse 16 is remarkable. This feeble old man called Elisha gets out of his bed, which is remarkable because he was about to die. He gets out of his deathbed and he puts his hands on the hands of the, the, the king of Israel. And that was symbolic of him saying, he wasn't saying you're not strong enough to pull back the bow. He was strong enough to pull back the bow, but he was saying God is going to be with you in this process. And and he was giving direction. And I want you to notice the direction that he gives. He points him, verse number 17, eastward. He, he, He grabs him and physically directs him eastward. Word. Now, of course, eastward was the direction of where the enemy was, and so he was literally firing a, a shot, declaring war. That's what you would do. I mean, if we fired a missile into North Korea, we would be declaring war on that country, okay? So firing a, an arrow, you would, you would have, the whole army would know, oh, the king just fired an arrow in that direction. We've declared war on that country. But I believe that there was another reason that he turned him eastward. Every morning and every evening, uh, Jews even to this day pray eastward. They pray toward Jerusalem or they pray eastward. And the reason they pray eastward is because in Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 1 and 2, I put it in your notes, it says that the Messiah will come through the eastern gate. His his feet will touch on the Mount of Olives. I believe this will happen in our lifetime or, or thereafter, very shortly thereafter. He will come. He will split the Mount of Olives. He will walk not through a cemetery, but he will walk down through the Kidron Valley and he will walk through the eastern gate. It says in, 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 in uh, Ezekiel 43 in verse number one, afterward he brought me to the gate, the gate that look, looketh eastward. It's also known as the golden gate. And behold, the glory of the Lord of Israel came from the way of the east and his voice was like the sound of many waters. That's talking about the Holy Spirit. And the earth shined with his glory. That's talking about the glory of Jesus coming back one day. And I believe that when he pointed him eastward, he was not just pointing him 
him toward the battle, but he was pointing him to the one who gives power to overcome all the battles. He was pointing him to Jesus Christ. There are a lot of uh, targets in our culture today. There's the target of psychology that says, love yourself. There's the target of humanism that says, you can follow you. You are your best compass. Follow your heart. There is the, there's the compass of, of, of secularism that basically says, God should not be the target. But I'm telling you, the target of Christianity and the target of the kingdom is Jesus Christ himself. If Jesus is not the target, the goal, the center of your life, friend, you are shooting at the wrong target. And so here's a key thought, and it is this. That counsel that does not point you closer to Jesus is not wise counsel. It just isn't. So you can be given lots of counsel, but if it does not point you to be closer to Jesus, that's not the counsel for you. And so we see he tells him not just to turn toward the east, but he tells him to shoot. He tells him to, to shoot. It's the same word as teach. And, and, and he says, shoot the arrow. There are a lot of Christians who know things. They have knowledge, they have instruction, but, but, but they've never put it into practice. They've never shot toward the enemy. Can I tell you that the spiritual battle in your life requires you to be on the offensive? That's why the whole armor of God has a sword. <laughs> it is the sword of the spirit. And if you are not going into battle to win, you will lose. It is like the Scottish captain uh, who, who, who got in front of his troops right as a battle was starting uh, in the early 19th century. Then he got with his Scottish accent, which I can't do. I wish I could, right? It's a, a, a great Scottish accent. If I tried to do it, it would be like, that doesn't sound like that at all, right? I just can't do it. But, but he gets in front of them, and, 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 and in Scottish fashion, real dramatic, he says, guys, the, the battle has already started. The enemy is shooting. And if you don't shoot the enemy, the enemy will shoot you. So why don't you start shooting? I believe that many are fearful of a spiritual battle. I believe many are not willing to fight in the spiritual battle. And so they are being steamrolled by the Satan and the evil forces. But that is not the way that God has designed us to live. See, you are either overcoming uh, evil with good, as uh, Romans 20 or 12, 21 says, or you are being overcome with evil. You are either overcoming evil with good, or you are being overcome with evil. See, God has already overcome the evil one. But many times we allow fear to paralyze us. We allow anxiety to grow us. We allow the, the world to creep in and tell us that we do not have power, that we do not have a sound argument or mind. But I will tell you that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I believe that when fear grips us, we do not have to allow it to lay hold on us any longer. I was at the property yesterday uh, fixing some things up with Ricardo and, and uh, we were putting on some boards that had been taken off of one of the buildings there and, and uh, we were about to screw it on and, 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 and I was reaching around to grab a screw and, and when I put my hand around the, 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 the wood, um, there was something in, in the darkness of the building that, that, that grabbed my hand. I don't know about you, but whenever you put your hand into something, you're not expecting, you want to grab what you want to grab. You don't want something to grab you. And so I, I, it wasn't like a spider or, or, I mean, I thought that, that's not a, that's, you know, and so 
Immediately, I ripped, ripped my hand out, and out came a big desert rat. It had been crawling up my hand. And I was like, whoa! And it, it, it went running away, and I looked at Ricardo. I was like, tell no one. <laughs> but I knew he would, so I thought I would just tell everyone anyway. But I will tell you, there are some people who the, 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 the claws of Satan have been removed by Jesus himself. But, but even without his claws, he think, he wants you to think that he has power over you. My friend, he does not have power over you. And the direction we're given in the Christian life is to fight a battle that's already been won. And so don't let the battle overly burden you into feeling like victory isn't possible. Victory is possible because Jesus has already won the victory on the cross. And so it's biblical instruction. It's personal direction. And then letter C and finally word finished. It is, this wise counsel is practical clarification. He clarifies why he's shooting an arrow out the window. And I, it's helpful that he's doing it because he's like, I came to you to tell you goodbye. <laughs> and you told me to shoot one of my arrows out your window. What does this even mean? Have you ever been reading your Bible and you're like, what does this even mean? <laughs> well, it's helpful because the Bible actually tells us in verse 17 what it means. It's the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, Elisha said. The, the deliverance over Syria. The word deliverance means salvation, victory. And so it's the entrance of the words of God that gives light, clarity. Certainly the word of God gave us clarity here. But God is using an arrow to represent the arrow of the battle that's going to be fought against Syria or the Ar Armenia at that point. And the, the victory was already won. And so here's an action item. I, I just would encourage all of you to claim the victory that is already won. Now, let me, let me, let me tell you why that's so difficult is Many times we, we wake up in, in the morning getting ready for, 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 next, you know, for the next day, whatever we have scheduled. And we wake up and, and, and if you're like anything like me, you're, just, you're, you're, you're focused on what you need to do next. You're focused on the requirements that you have. I mean, there's certain things that God puts in your hand that you have, to, you have responsibilities, right? You have things that you have to do. And so many times we wake up and, 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 and we pick up the arm of our flesh, right? How do you know the arm of your flesh will fail you? So we, and, so we, and so we go through life and, and we use our own tools. And we're like, right? The only problem is we're using a Nerf bow when God wants us to use the real thing. And so we're, we're using our own words, our own actions. We're using our own spirit. We're using our own ways to force people to do what we want them to do. We're acting in our own flesh, and I do it too. And I'm like, why isn't this thing working? And it's because this was never the tool God wanted you to use. God, God didn't want you to operate out of his spirit. God wanted you to operate in his spirit, in his word. God never wanted you to go in your day without picking up uh, the, the, the weapon of worship and the weapon of gratitude, and the weapon of prayer, and the weapon of his spirit. 
But, but you say, well, yeah, but I, I just don't have time. Friend, you don't have time not to. You see, see, you say, well, that's easier. It seems easier, but it doesn't work. And so the, the problem a lot of people don't use, the weapons that God has given you is it's, it's tough. You ever tried to pull back a compound bow? It's tough. Chandler was trying to do it earlier. He's putting his foot on it. Why doesn't this work? That's what we do as Christians. We're like, it's not working. And it's because everything that God has promised us is front and loaded. You obey and then you get the blessing. You don't get the blessing so that you'll obey. That's not how it works. You, 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 you might be right at first and then, whoa, oh, that's so much better. This is so much more power. Whoa, that works. That can kill the enemy. This can't kill the enemy. This is what only I can do. This is what God can do. And if you want to do what God can do, then there's one thing that he says is a requirement. Do you know what it is? To just keep going. To be faithful. You say, really? That seems so easy. That is. But in the long run, it's worth it. It might be easy now, but it might be a little bit harder when you want to give up. And there's nothing you would want more than just to throw in the towel in an area. But can I remind you, and here's the takeaway, and we're finished, that we do not fight our battles every day for victory. We fight them from victory. Friend, when you wake up in the morning, if you're fighting for the victory, you're using the wrong weapon. We are fighting from victory. We are fighting from the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. We are fighting with the power of the resurrection, which we'll talk about next week. We are fighting with everything that God has given us at his disposal. We're fighting with that power, not our own. So every single day we have to get up and say, I'm just gonna keep going, but I'm not gonna keep going in my power. I'm gonna get, keep going in his power. The battle belongs to the Lord, but so does the victory. And we can step into victory every single day when we just say, God, I'm just gonna keep going. I, I, I know I'm making mistakes. I know I'm not perfect, God. I, I know I've made some big mistakes in the past. I, I know I feel weak. I feel like I just can't keep things moving, but I'm just going to keep going. Just keep going going. Let's say that together. Just keep going. I don't know who needs to hear this, but if you're about to quit, don't quit. Just keep going. If you're about to throw in the towel in a relationship that God wants you to be in, just keep going. You're, you're, you're about to give up on a friend who needs Jesus, just keep going. There may, might be one in this room or online or on the radio and you want to give up on life. Listen, just keep going. God put you on this planet for a purpose. God gave you breath in your lungs for a purpose. Just keep going. Thanks again for listening. If you would like to learn more about our church or how to get connected, check us out online at findnewlife.church or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Find New Life. Have an amazing day.